You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. This episode of My Unlived Life was recorded live at the Murky Books Literature Festival at the Roundhouse in London, where I was joined on stage by the amazing debut novelist Hafsa Zion. Hafsa and I discussed what might have happened if she'd stood up to her parents at the age of 16 and insisted on attending her local school with all of her friends, as opposed to the exclusive grammar school two hours from home, where she ultimately went. Along the way, we discussed the friends we lose and the friends we keep, the weight of parental expectation, and some particularly salient marriage advice. Welcome, everyone, to this live recording of My Unlived Life at Murky Books Festival. My name is Miriam Robinson, and I'm the host of the My Unlife, Unlived Life podcast, which, if you've not listened before, is all about the path not taken. So those moments in your life where maybe you could have turned left, but you turned right instead, uh, those sort of sliding doors moments where um, one thing happened instead of another, uh, and that determined sort of the course of your life. So I um, assume like many of you in the audience might have had some, and my guest has had one that we're going to discuss. And I th always think that we might sort of regret those moments, and we might celebrate those moments, um, but no matter what, there's always something I think to learn from them, and that's why we like to kind of open up those paths we might have taken and play around in them a little bit. And that's what we're going to do with our guest, Hafsa Zion, today. So a little bio first. Um, Hafsa is a writer and dispute resolution lawyer based in London. She studied law at Cambridge and has a master's from Oxford, and she won the inaugural Murky Books New Writer's Prize in 2019. Her debut novel, We Are All Birds of Uganda, is inspired by the mixed background from which she hails. And I have to really say, I'm really jealous of everyone in this room and everyone who's listening to the podcast who hasn't read it yet, because it's just phenomenal. It's so intricately woven. It's so beautiful. And you're in for such a treat. Um, I really kind of wish that I hadn't read it so that I could reread it again for the first time. Um, so Hafsa is going to tell us a bit about her novel first before we get started. And then we're going to, as I say, go back to a crossroads moment in her life uh, and imagine ourselves into the life that she never lived. Um, now, before we get started, I have one piece of housekeeping, which is sort of above and beyond the usual piece of housekeeping, which is that you might have seen signs that at 3 o'clock today, we have the National Emergency Service Alert thingy happening. Um, and none of us really know what that's going to look like. It's going to be a beep, we think, on your phone. It might be a buzz. It might be a cascading jingle. We don't really know yet. Uh, but I think what we're just going to have to do is if it happens and if everybody starts buzzing, then we'll just have to pause for a second, and then we'll move on. And hopefully it doesn't sort of cascade for half an hour or something like that. But anyways, I'm, I'm glad we're all in it together here today. 
um, at the Roundhouse. Um, so, hi, Hafsa. Hello. Thank you for that very, very kind introduction and the um, stuff about reading the book again. It's weird because, like, it's the opposite for me. I, like, wish I'd never read it because, you know, as an author, you're just, like, you kind of, you read your book. I think I've read it, like, 12 times. So, as you can imagine, that's that was quite painful. Well, so is that it now? Never again? Just oh, put no, it away? Yeah, well, but also, I pretty much know the whole thing off by heart, so... Well, now everybody else can go devote its memory because it is amazing, <laughs> amazing. So what we're going to do is I was hoping, as I say, you um, will tell us a bit about your novel and then we're going to go back to your moment. So to start, can you say something about We Are All Birds of Uganda? Yeah, of course. So obviously phenomenal. Uganda is in the title. It's a, it's a novel about the expulsion of uh, the South Asian community living in East Africa um, in 1972, particularly by Idi Amin. Um, so it's a dual narrative. Um, it's set partially historically and partially um, in modern day Britain. And one narrative follows um, the journey of a South Asian man living in, in Uganda and tracks his kind of history from just after the Second World War all the way through to the expulsion and, and where he ultimately ended up with his family after after they were thrown out. Um, and the other narrative explores um, the, the story of this sort of second generation um, Uganda and South Asian immigrant living um, and in London, and um, sort of basically, it's a, it's the journey of um, his 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 journey of self discovery, um, and him kind of trying to reconcile uh, where he he finds home and 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 uh, where he finds belonging. Um, and of course, at some point, the two the two stories do collide. Um, but yeah, that's basically what it's about. It's a it's a piece of history that I didn't know much about before I wrote the book. Um, so it's uh, hopefully fairly educational. Did you do a lot of research for it in order to, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I spent many a night in the British Library. I watched so many YouTube videos. There's actually quite a lot of information on the internet, but people don't really know, of, of my generation anyway. I think back in back in the 70s, it was a huge international media story because there were literally tens of thousands of South Asians looking for somewhere to go and settle. So the whole world was interested in the story at, at that time. Um, but it's kind of been forgotten um, from from history, and it's not something that, unless you're from that community or you know people in that community, um, you know, my generation would necessarily know, even though it's a major part of British history because Uganda was a British protectorate, um, and so there was this uh, link between between the two countries, and um, more than half the expellees came to the UK and settled in the UK. Um, so yeah, I had to do a lot of research, but my luckily my in-laws are South Asian Ugandans, so I had some anecdotal evidence as well. Were they were they free flowing with their with their information? Were they quite ready and willing to share? Yeah, bizarrely, like unlike a lot of um, families, I think who 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 are immigrant families who don't want to talk about their experiences because they find kind of like they're reliving like a lot of trauma and stuff. Um, my uncle in law was very very helpful, and he was very happy to talk to me about um, everything that had happened to them. Um, but he was quite a bit older at the time of the expulsion. He's in his 70s now. My father-in-law was only 10 when he was expelled, and he had really bad kind of memories of, of the time there, but he was obviously so much younger when he was expelled, so he wasn't very willing or keen to talk about it, and I guess he remembered less. Um, but yeah, my uncle was in his early 20s when he was expelled, so he had um, a lot to say and a lot of comments on the manuscript, which was obviously very helpful. Was it very helpful? No, it genuinely <laughs> was. It was. It genuinely was. Okay, good. Um, all right. Well, I'm hoping that as we discuss your unlived life, we're going to get to hear a little bit more about the book. And I definitely think that knowing what it is you're about to talk about, that there's a lot of themes that we might kind of, that might sort of resonate with what you um, 
what you have written. And I think it'd be interesting if we kind of pull those up as we go along. So if you would, I think let's try to play the game, shall we? <laughs> um, can you say what uh, path we're going to visit today? Yeah. When we were talking about this, I was just um, telling Miriam that my life was really boring. So um, I didn't have that many kind of like very monumental like fork left and right. But one of the things that stood out in my memory is um, when I finished school, when I was when I was 16, when I would finished my GCSEs and uh, my parents were very keen to send me to the local grammar school, which was a two hour commute from where we lived. So two hours on the bus there, two hours on the bus back. Um, and all of my friends from school were going to the local college and I wanted to go to the local college with my friends. And, um, you know, we had a conversation about that. And as most conversations at that age with my with my parents ended up, I did what they wanted. Um, and, I, and I did the commute and I obviously have ended up here. But um, I always did kind of wonder what my life might have been like if I had like insisted and um, got my way and ended up um, staying local in the Midlands, which is where my family are from, just like my protagonist, um, Samir, in, in the book. Okay. You're growing up in the Midlands. You have this, this situation in front of you. Um, your parents want you to go to the local grammar school. Two hours is a long commute. That's like, that's a lot on a bus. Yeah, on a bus. I think it's kind of one of those, like, anything for education type of things. Like, that's, um, again, I think this is quite common in immigrant families. Um, and, and maybe my family, I, I don't know, obviously we're, we're unique, but um, they were always happy for me to, like, go to any extreme if it was for uh, my education. Um, but obviously if it was for a party or <laughs> just to hang out with my friends, it was a no. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I didn't want to do it, obviously. Um, and, you know, I was leaving school where, like, I would literally know nobody. Um, those kinds of relationships that you form at that age, at 16, you think they're, like, super, super important. Um, and, you know, you don't want to break them and you feel really, like, comfortable and safe in them. And I didn't want to, like, just, you know, be di you know be, be, be ditched and, like, have to go to a school where I didn't know anybody and take this bus journey where I didn't know anyone um, while all my friends were, like, still hanging out um, in, in, in the in Nuneaton, which is where which is where it was um but but yeah that that that's kind of what my parents thought um two hours is nothing in the grand scheme of getting a better education what they thought it was and so you went the dutiful daughter route and you said okay and you didn't you didn't put up a fuss and you went well I put up a fuss but you put I, up just, a fuss I didn't get my way went. let's put it that way <laughs> all right you didn't win <laughs> so okay so just so we know very briefly what we're sort of comparing things to you went to the grammar school just say briefly what sort of the actual trajectory of your life has been yeah it's really sad I don't really actually so I was at the grammar school for two years I, I don't have any like long-lasting friendships from that time mm. um so I was there for two years like obviously I had a friendship group there I studied like some subjects I got into Cambridge I went to Cambridge and then I as you know I, I then went to Oxford and then I ended up in London um and I think going there was kind of like a bit of a conveyor belt route you kind of if you study law there then you kind of just end up being in the city and Again, a lot like my protagonist, not that my protagonist is me in any way, but um, we share some similarities because it's easy to write about things that you know. Um, and yeah, I ended up in the city working crazy hours at a law firm, like um, sleeping very little and um, working very hard. All right. Well, we're going to see how much sleep you get in this other <laughs> life, shall we? Um, so let's go back. You're 16 years old. Your parents say they want you to go to grammar school. You say no. And somehow, you get your way. Yeah, I think probably my parents would have been 
quite unhappy with me, potentially. I mean, I don't think I'd ever really disobeyed them. I just did everything they wanted. And what was that about? What was the, the doing everything they wanted about and the not disobeying? Yeah, I think, look, it's just the way that um, we were raised. Like, I just, it's like, I think it's like a cultural thing. Like, my, just by way of context, like my mum, I mean, I was at home for Eid just like a couple of days ago. And my mum even said, oh, do you remember how I never used to let you watch The Simpsons because Bart was too rude to his mum? <laughs> my sister joked, she was like, I'm still not allowed to watch The Simpsons. I don't watch it. Um, but yeah, so I, just culturally, like, there's a lot of like, you know, concept of like respect, being respectful and like listening to your parents. And there's that whole fear, I think, with, with um, immigrant families as well of, you know, them coming to this country and then the children kind of following the ways of like, the people that they've watched and, um, you know, shouting at their parents or being rude or whatever. And that was just a big no-no. I've never raised my voice to my parents and I don't think I ever will because we were just so ingrained, um, you know, from literally the day we were born. Actually, I must have shouted at her when I was a baby. Screaming, crying, that, that doesn't count. Um, but yeah. But respectfully. respectful. Yeah, exactly. Crying. Respectful crying. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just, um, I think it was just a big, the idea of like, not doing what they wanted was just something that was completely alien to me, even at 16. And is it, does it still feel like that now? Because one thing I think is interesting um, in the book, again, as you say, your protagonist, Samir, um, is living, I guess, not exactly the life his parents want him to, but a, a, a good, solid, dutiful career life. Um, and even as he gets older than 16 and becomes an adult, he still really struggles with whether or not he should be doing what they want him to. Do you feel like that now? Is it still part of your relationship with them? Yeah, I think it will always be. Um, it will always be a part of my relationship with them. I, or if I'm doing something that I know they disapprove of, I just feel so guilty, um, and I just can't help it. I, it's just the way that they have they kind of raised me, and and you know my siblings as well. Like I always have them kind of looming in the back of my mind, like oh, but what would my mum or my, what would my dad say if they knew this? And not that I've done anything to disobey them since. Like I don't know if they're listening to this. Obviously, I've not had that thought many times. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I. I think that is just a permanent feature of, of our relationship, yeah. And, and, and even now, like, married, living alone, not living with them, like, they still feature so heavily in my, in my like, thought processes, in the decisions that I make. Okay, all right. Well, let's, let's see how that pans out in this new life, because here you are, and you're 16, and you're saying a very firm no to them. And somehow, it gets, you, get, you get your way, and... They're not happy about it, mm. but you do it, you know? Yeah, I okay. do it. So you go to the local comprehensive. You're with all your friends. Tell us about the school. What's it like? Um, it was a college, so it was post, um, post GCSEs. It was like a new, a new start, but it was also um, with all of the people that I had kind of been friends with in, in um, high school. So that, was, that would have been really nice, I guess. I mean, I'm still friends with some of those people, not all of them, but some of them. Maybe I would have stayed friends with all of them. Um, most of them, uh, they went to uni like out of the Midlands, but a lot of them, in fact, most of them came back to the Midlands after they finished university. I mean, they had like stronger ties to the Midlands, I guess. Like some of them were in relationships and stayed in those relationships after they um, finished university. Others just stayed local anyway. Like they just didn't, weren't really interested in going to London. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, maybe I would have done the same thing. Well, we're going to try to find out. So, okay, so I just want to know, I, we need to get like a little bit of a portrait of what life is like. Um, so 
who are, who are like your two closest friends? Who are your best friends? Who you're hanging out with now, and you're really happy because you get to hang out with them all the time. Do I have to name them? Like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> character sorry. description. Character description. Um. So yeah, I mean, my best friends at the time. One of them is still my best friend ever, and she's actually now my like kind of sister-in-law because she married my cousin. So that was awesome. Um. It did take me like a good 15 years to arrange that. I kept trying to somehow get her into my family, and I finally managed it in November last year. But um. Anyway, well so done. she yeah, she's still my best friend. In fact, she's the only one who actually left and, and moved to London as well. Um, so she went to uni in York and then she also ended up in London. Um, but my other friends, one of whom I'm not friends with anymore, um, but she was, she was my friend since I was 11. We just, I don't know, had fun together. <laughs> I don't know what you do when you're 11, how you make friends when you're 11. You just, you just play. Um, and then I had like a couple of other friends who were like very similar. They've all ended up back in the Midlands basically. Um, but we all lived within like a sort of five minute walk from each other. So it's just one of those relationships where you kind of spend every day like playing out in the sun, you know, just like kind of idyllic um, summers like spent together. Um, it was nice. It was really nice. Okay, all right, so now you're in it and you get to sort of extend that. And I realize my, excuse me, my American is showing when I said school instead of college, excuse me. I always, <laughs> we had this chat earlier about how I still don't understand how it works, but you're in college. Obviously, you were, the idea of you going to grammar school was because your parents felt it was a sort of superior education mm -hmm. from their perspective. Um, what's, what's the academic, what are the academics like? What are you doing? What are you studying? I think I'm probably still studying the same thing. Which was what? Oh, like English, obviously, um, maths and Spanish. Um, so I, I probably just did the same things because they were, were all offered at the at the local college as well. Okay, and how is it going? Are you you doing? You're clearly a good student. So I think it's going okay. I think there were potentially like extra. So the grammar school was all girls. This is a key fact I did uh. not mention. The grammar school was all girls. The local college was mixed. There were probably some external influences in the local college which would have distracted me more than if I was at the grammar school. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> boys, boys, boys. Um, yeah, so who knows? Well, okay, let's think about it. Are there any boys in particular who are catching your eye in, in college? Am I, am I supposed to, like, make one up? If you, if just only if one, like, comes to you. This is where it gets fun and imagine. Oh, you have to just sort of, like, really imagine Just, like, think into it. It's okay. Or it might not be. It might just be that, like, they're there and it provides a sort of different atmosphere. And it yeah. doesn't have to show up quite yet either. We I think that would have definitely happened. Like, there definitely would have been boys that were, like, distracting me. <laughs> but I'm not sure that I would have actually ended up with any of them. Okay. All right, well, let, we'll see, shall we? And what was, I mean, in the all-girlsness of the grammar school, how was that for you? Because some people really thrive in that, and some people find it awful. Well, it was not something I'd ever done before, so I'd been at mixed schools all the way up until I was 16 anyway. Um, but also, I feel like I had quite a delayed, like, awakening of, like, my... Um, I don't want to say sexuality, but, like, my understanding of, like, there being boys. Like, I didn't... All the way up until I was 16, I literally didn't even, like, notice guys. I feel like it was post... 16 and maybe it was because I went to the grammar school and they were so obsessed with boys because they had not had them since they were 11 in their school um that I became like suddenly really aware of them and like interested in them I didn't really like think anything of them before that point so actually maybe it, it didn't it didn't work that way maybe I would have just carried on not being that you know not noticing them who knows that's interesting so in grammar school did you have boyfriends or you just all of a sudden were like "Ooh, hello yes the latter the very articulate ladder. Okay, fine. Um, all right. So okay, fine. So they're they're kind of they're a sort of thing there, but they're sort of not that 
That's true, because you would have just been in school with boys otherwise, so it's just not, yeah, that, it's not yeah. that different, not that interesting. Um, let's talk about how things are at home. Are they tense? Are your parents over it? Let's say we've, we've done like six months of this. You're kind of studying. You're still probably being a decently good daughter overall. Well, who knows? Like, I don't know. If I had like disobeyed them in that respect, maybe I would have then disobeyed them in other respects. So not, <gasps> not disobeyed, but like maybe done things that they wouldn't have necessarily approved of in other respects. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Going to parties. I don't know how I would have got to these parties, but they, because um, they had to take me there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, maybe maybe if I had been like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I choose this path and this is what I'm going to do and you can't tell me what to do. Maybe I would have taken that attitude in other respects, but because I never took that attitude back then, I've never taken it since. Mm. Um, and maybe that was like the start of me being more independent. Okie dokie then. All right. So can we think of anything specific? We don't have to, but can you think of anything specific where perhaps there's a another moment, a further a further moment of independence, a further sort of denying? Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's a, it's a moment of independence, but I do remember because we live quite close to Warwick University and my mom was always like, you should go to Warwick um, so that I could live at home. So that's uh, quite the opposite of being independent. Yes, um, it is. But that would have been... Uh, a very different experience to the experience that I had, obviously going away for university. Well, let's think about it. So let's say you've you've done let's you've done a year and a bit, let's say, of school, and it's two years, right, mm. of college. Thank you. Um, you've done a year and a bit, and you are you're doing well. You're having fun with your friends. You're you're totally bored by the boys, um, and or certainly not hugely excited by them. Let's say, um, and it's. And then you get to the point where you need to apply to university. So what are you thinking? Does it feel like work? Or does it feel like maybe... I mean, I didn't even apply the first time because I was like, I just don't want to be anywhere near home. Mm. Um, because I just needed to have that moment and that opportunity and that chance to be free of them and to kind of explore and, like, you know, do my own thing, which I definitely got the opportunity to do living away from home. Um, I, I don't know how I could have possibly ended up at Warwick, but... Maybe if there was some local interest or there was some desire to stay in the area, if I'd met somebody who was, who was, you know, somebody that I wanted to, like, be close to. I don't know. If I had met a boy, maybe I would have gone to Warwick so that I could have, or, or tried to apply to Warwick so that I could have, like, still stayed in touch with him. I, I don't know. I'm really speculating here. But it certainly would have been a very, very different life if I had had to live at home for university. Well, let's see if we can decide. Do you think you meet a boy? Okay, let's say I do. Okay. Who's the boy? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe someone my parents disapproved of. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Is it? Obviously, I wouldn't have told them, so I, don't know, uh, but I would have known that they disapproved. Why would they disapprove? Probably shouldn't be having a boyfriend in the first place. Okay, all right. Because distracting, because all the Distracting, things. but also religiously. Like, I'm yeah. a Muslim, and I've grown up in a Muslim household. Um, and so, you know, having... The idea of, like, having a boyfriend or anything like that is completely not okay. You know, you just meet someone, and then you get married, and then that's it. And then, you know, preferably you go on to just have, like, 100 children. Um, but, you know, I... I So I didn't... I, like, I would have never told them that I was, like... In, they would have just never found out. Is he Until they did. not Muslim, this imaginary boyfriend? He could have been. Let's decide. He's not. Okay. <laughs> Let's go wild here. Let's, Let's just go nuts. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. So you've got a secret boyfriend. Congratulations. And um, 
is he, what does he want? He wants you to stay around? He wants you to stay in yeah. town? Okay. Because he's staying around. Okay, fine. So you finish up college, you apply... Do you only apply to Warwick, or do you, is there any bit of you? So that's you like, can't. You have to apply to like back then. You you made an application to like five, I think. Okay. So I just applied to some others as well, but maybe like other ones that were close. Okay. And any interest in applying to Cambridge as you did in your real life? Well, I mean, I I know people who uh, who didn't apply to universities, certain universities, because they wanted to stay local because of their relationships um i even know people who you know like some of my some people that i know who are twins who were like we must apply to like the same university so we can stay together um or like even really strong friendships like it didn't necessarily have to be a boy but i remember there were, at the time there were lots of external factors that influenced where you applied to it wasn't just about um the the quality of the university or which university it was mm -hmm. so yeah i can quite conceivably imagine that you would decide not to go somewhere specifically because of a relationship that you had at the time. I think also at that time you think that your relationships are going to last forever and that they're super, super important um, and they're the ones that are going to see you through all the way to the end of your life, but um, that certainly didn't happen for me. Well, it's interesting though because the, it sounds like some of the friendships did. Yeah, so I have like one very, very, very close friend from that time and a okay. couple of other like not as close friends but still good friends. Uh, but most of my relationships from that time have since dissolved, sadly. And what about in your unlived life? Are they, are these girlfriends, are they also going to work? Are they going to go all over the place? I think they, back? so in, in, in reality, these girlfriends did go all over the place. Okay. But they had relationships in, in um, the, the local community, which meant that they came back after university. They didn't want to, like, go to London or, you know, go to, um, you know, live their life. Like, a lot of them went up north to stay up north. Um, they, they, they came back. Okay, all right. The other thing I think is interesting is that um, obviously you're saying that in your real life you obviously just wanted to get really far away from home so mm. you could presumably attain some independence. Yeah. Um, but what you've done is you've already kind of asserted that earlier on. So in a way you kind of don't need to. Mm. Um, so, all right. So should we say that's what happens? You go to Warwick. Does that mean you stay living at home? Yeah, so I think that's definitely what would have happened if I'd gone to Warwick, for sure. Okay. How does that feel? Suffocating. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I, yeah, I, I think it would have been really difficult. I think probably what would have happened is that I'd have eventually managed to convince them to let me stay out for, like, one year. Like, maybe because you get halls or something for the first year, and then I think the second and third year you have to find your own place. Okay. So maybe what would have happened is that I would have been in halls for the first year, and the second and third year I would have ended up back at home. Okay. All right. Which would be even more scary because you have that taste of freedom and then it gets taken from you. <laughs> Brutally ripped away from you. Okay, well, let's find some joy here. Let's find some good stuff. How's the boyfriend doing? Um, I guess he's good, but things are getting intense because it's now been a few years and there probably comes a point where I need to tell my parents. Yeah, because where did, like, when do you see him? When do you hang out if you're living at home? <laughs> when I'm supposed to be studying. <laughs> When I'm supposed to be in the library. Okay. All right. So it's getting a little bit more full on. Do you tell your parents? Um, I think I would only ever, and this still, that's applied then, this applies now, I'd only ever tell them if I was interested in marrying somebody. Um, because prior to that point, they would just be like, end it. Ah. Mm. Okay. So it feels like, maybe, are we not there yet? Well, maybe he's not interested in getting married because he doesn't come from the same background as me. What's wrong with him? You're fabulous. <laughs> okay. 
All right. So what does that mean then? Does it end, or do you just do you just kind of carry on but don't tell your parents? I think probably the latter. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's think about what else is going on then. What are you studying? Law. Same. Yeah, definitely. And that wouldn't have changed. No, I don't think so. Were you I, always interested in it in the law? Um, I don't know really. Like when I started being interested in it, all I know is that. I knew what I didn't want to do, and that was what my parents kept telling me I should do, which was be a doctor. And I definitely didn't want to do that because just, like, blood and all that kind of stuff just grossed me out. Um, and so, like, law seemed like an alternative, respectable career. So I started looking into it, and then I got interested in it, and I, then I actually really wanted to do it. Um, so, yeah, I would have still studied it, I think. I was, like, really interested in the idea of justice and, like, the idea of, like, human rights and, you know, all, all, all these kinds of... Did you hear the beep? Yeah, yeah, it happened. Yeah, I, the beep. I was just realizing that it hadn't happened. I, I thought know. maybe we'd just p- it passed like it. It was but coming from another room there. I know. Yeah. I wonder if it will hit us soon yeah. or not. Anyways, that was okay. That wasn't so bad. Yeah, I was, well always, done. I was always really interested in the idea of, like, you know, fundamental human rights and justice and, you know, all, all the kind of things that I think young lawyers are always really idealistic about. Um, but then, you know, when I went to university and I, and I studied it, and then you realize that, like, the kind of job that you get that's that type of job, there are very, very few of them. They're very, very poorly paid, and they're extremely difficult to, to get into. It's much easier to just go and study contracts, you know, the, the, the slightly more dull stuff, but also the more commercial stuff, the businesses stuff, the kind of, like, um, the more, the, the kind of more capitalist side of society rather than the than the, you know, giving back to the community type thing. So I think I, I eventually became quite disillusioned. But I ultimately, the reason that I wanted to do it is because um, it seemed like a good thing to do. Good with like a capital G, like yeah. a sort of wholesome, good yeah. for the world thing to yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so you're still studying law. You're living at home. The boyfriend thing is kind of ticking along. One thing I wanted to ask, um, if we go back to the boyfriend and the marriage question, is obviously you are now married mm. with two delightful children, as we've discussed, one of whom is very, very young, and it's your first time being away. Mm. Um, so this is really, we're really lucky to have you here. Um, where did you meet your actual real-world husband? In London. In London. Mm-hmm. Up oh, there it is. Then it's gone. Okay. Mm. <laughs> All right, fine. And once you were already there as a lawyer in the city. Okay. You're studying, you're in Warwick, the girlfriends are kind of gone, but they kind of come back through. Yeah, what, are, what are sort of, because presumably, what did you used to do when you were at Cambridge? Would you go back for the summer? Yeah. You would? Yeah, I would. I and would. everyone would get back together? Yeah, everyone would get back together. And I kind of like slightly despised it because I suddenly had the freedom gone. Ah. Yeah. Okay, fine. So now you, you haven't really had that much freedom, so you're sort of just there. How is it when everybody comes back and gets together for the summers? It's good, it's fun, but it's also, like, I, I get a lot of time, like, to myself at home when I'm, like, not kind of hanging out with them um, because, you know, I'm helping my mum do this or whatever it is. Um, so I guess I, I just have generally more time on my hands, maybe. Okay. How does that feel, having more time? Good, I guess. I don't have much time now. <laughs> I hardly have the time to breathe, I feel, sometimes. I think it can be quite claustrophobic um, doing the job that I'm doing. Um, But maybe I wouldn't have had that experience. I mean, even even at university, I mean, Cambridge is very, very high pressure and it's quite intense. Mm. I mean, you spend, like, a fair amount of the summer studying and stuff like that. Maybe I wouldn't have felt that pressure to do that. 
um, if I'd if I'd been you know at home and had that extra time anyway. You want to say more about what that pressure was like at Cambridge? It was, I mean, it. It's I mean, there was a an obvious lot question. Of it. It's just a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of it, and I think also because I was like. I was one of two black people in the entire of my year group in, in college. In, in my college, I was at Downing. Um, you know, you, you kind of know that you're like a very small portion. You're, you're, a, you're a minority. You know that you're like a very small fraction of what makes up that university. And you've, you feel a little bit like you must not fail mm. because you're kind of representing this entire community. Um, and... You know, everyone back home is like, you know, my dad was just like, oh my God, my dad, it was like telling everyone and like, you know, if you, if you bomb it or if you do really badly, that is bad for everybody, not just you individually. So I think there is quite a lot of pressure there. And I, I remember really feeling it in third year, like this, it's, it was extremely stressful, but actually it set me up quite well for London living um, <laughs> as, as a city lawyer, because that's quite stressful as well. But I think university was kind of more stressful because um, nobody really cares if you like mess up one little thing in your job. No one back home would find out about it. But I think there was this, this whole idea of like, you know, if you, don't, if you don't make it at university, then you've really let down everyone. That's interesting. It's interesting that that pressure is more intense than the pressure of messing something up at a big city law firm or anything like that. Isn't that well, fascinating? Yeah, well, no one back home would find out unless you made it into the news, at which point, then at which point you're kind of, that's very bad. At which point you're in like a whole other <laughs> yeah, ballgame exactly. of mess You've up You've got anyway. other things to worry about at that point. <laughs> all right, fine. Okay, so, all right, so you're at work and you're not feeling that in the same way. I don't think so because like work is definitely more diverse. Okay. Um, there are lots and lots of international students. There are people, not that there aren't at Cambridge, but I remember at Downing, like there were there were like maybe three or four in my year. So there weren't there weren't that many in my college specifically. Um, but yeah, I think at Warwick it's, it's way way more mixed. It's just way more diverse, and so you're not like the only one. You know, there are other people there, and like maybe I don't have my family back home being like, oh my god, you know, this is such a huge deal. Um, so, yeah, I think you would feel that pressure less. Okay. All right. Well, that's quite interesting. Even though um, it's a great uni, right? But, yeah, no. But, it's, but for some reason, it's not, it's not the same as, oh, she got into Cambridge. Well, there's something also about just going away from home full stop, isn't there? If you've, if you've made some sort of trek to somewhere else, then mm. you sort of need to prove the validity of that choice in a way. Definitely. Um, which you now don't have to do. You're, you're just at home. That's a really good point. Um, okay, so less pressure overall. Studying's going fine. You're studying roughly the same thing. Um, the boyfriend's ticking along. The friends are ticking along. Um, where do we want to go? Should we finish? Should we finish up and see where you go next? Mm -hmm. All right. What do you think happens next? How does it? How does it work normally? So from Cambridge, what what did you do? Well, I went to the city. I went to London. Just straight. And yeah, did yeah. you have a specific well, firm? I did, or? The, I did the masters first, and then okay. I went there. Yeah. Fine. All right, well then let's, so do you need to do a master's? No, I probably wouldn't have done one. I, I, I mean, in this unlived life, I'm not going to London. I'm staying local, right? So Yeah, I, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, at some point you might. But you yeah, might yeah, have. but to live in London, like, on a permanent basis, I don't know whether I would have, like, either I would have had, like, the massive blow-up with the boyfriend where it's like, this is over, or, or you know, we would have just been like, right, let's just, let's just tell my parents, and, and that would have been, like, the thing that maybe tethered me to the to the Midlands. 
Okay, let's decide what happens. Do you have a massive blow-up or do you tell your parents? I probably just tell my parents because I'm, like, so in love. Aw, that's <laughs> nice. Is he? What's he studying? What's he up to? I guess he... I don't know. Um... <laughs> I don't know. Is he is he doing law or is he doing something else? I in my unlived life, I guess he's doing something else because my actual husband is a lawyer as well. So and does that pose problems or is it or is it no, nice because you understand it's, each it's, other? It's quite good right now because we're both in the city and we both work crazy hours, so we never see each other, which makes the marriage very successful. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's definitely the recipe for a super successful <laughs> absence makes the heart grow fonder. I always like the one where it's one of them is sort of, you know, somebody's always off sort of filming in an exotic location or something like that for six months of the year and you kind of see each other for yeah. a week and then it's like, yeah, it feels like it's really good. Okay, so that's nice. A little marriage advice for everybody there. <laughs> um, okay, but you don't think that this guy is. He's not a lawyer. No, yeah, maybe he's not a lawyer. So we spend a lot of time together. Okay, fine. And you're, sli- you're in a slightly less, like, crazy busy universe anyways. You might actually have some time. So, like, that's nice. The relationship's good. Hmm. Okay. How do your parents feel? They're really against it. Okay. Yeah. Really, really against it. How against it are we talking? Like, not interested in knowing him, wanting us to break up, that kind of thing. Okay. And? What does that do to you guys? What do you decide to do? Well, I say no, and then there's, like, big blow up, and then we, we just, like, I just have to move out. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys move in together? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but still in the Midlands. You haven't gone very far. You're just in the... No, sort of yeah, exactly. Okay, fine. Oh, yeah. and yeah, he paints. He paints? Mm. That's nice. Mm. What does he paint? I don't know, just like landscape, abstract things. He has like an easel in our little flat. Is he a good painter? Is he like a... I think he's is really he a don't good. Quit your I think painter? he's really good, but he's probably not really that good. Maybe he is. He might be good. Well, we'd never find out because, you know, poor artists struggling. Well, it's okay. You're going to be a lawyer, so it's fine. Um, okay. Well, all right. Well, this is delightful. So you've got a little little spot in the Midlands somewhere. He's got enough space to paint. Your parents are fuming. Do you have siblings? I do, yes. How do they feel? Oh, they're totally with me. Okay. Yeah. Unlike Samir's siblings. Yeah, that's an interesting mm. one, isn't it? I think that's really interesting because Samir's sister, Zara, is, yeah, less... Well, she's more in dutiful daughter mode, isn't she? And so she has quite a hard time understanding him not being in dutiful daughter mode. Why did you paint her that way? I think I painted her that way because that that was just the reality of like what I'd seen in my in my life and and you know kind of what I'd seen in the community that I come from because uh, for those of you who don't know um, Samir wants to marry and like be with someone who his family disapproves of in the book and his sister has always been kind of like his biggest supporter and they've always been really really close but when it comes to him telling his family that he wants to marry this this woman um, she sides with his family instead of with him. Um, and he finds that absolutely devastating, um, obviously, and it obviously really ruins their relationship. But um, it was just it, it, it was just more realistic um, that she wouldn't buck against her family too, just because he had done it. Um, and it was kind of the things that I'd, that I'd seen. So that that's why it ended up that way, even though it's a bit sad. It is I mean, genuinely, it was. I mean, they sad. resolve and stuff, so it's fine yeah. in the end. But. You know, it's not a nice period of his life. Yeah, yeah, and quite a lonely one. Um, okay, but you've got some sibling support. I've got support. Yeah, amazing. And what's going to happen? Are you guys going to get married? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but my parents don't attend the wedding. <laughs> really? Not yeah. even at the last minute, they don't show up. No, they Neither don't show them. up. Okay. No. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. 
But you don't pay for it, which is even more sad. Super <laughs> sad. So do you guys do quite a low-key affair? Yeah, it's just like in a restaurant. Okay, fine. How about his parents? Are they cool with it? Yeah, they're totally cool. And they're like really accepting. That's lovely. Well, because you're great, obviously, so of course. Okay, all right. So at some point you guys get married. You're not doing your master's. He's painting. What we are you start, doing? We start fighting. Yeah, because this is what happens post-marriage. <laughs> this is making my marriage sound This is what happens with him, but it's the reality. Um, what are you fighting about? I don't know. Him just, like, not doing enough, like, always painting, just, like, always brooding and being too, like, artsy and me just, like, always being the one who's paying all the mortgage and the bills and me talking about, like, wanting to start a family, but how am I going to do that if I'm the one who needs to be the breadwinner? This is very problematic. Mm. What are you doing to be the breadwinner, by the way? I'm just, wor- I'm just You're just a lawyer. I'm just working in like a local high street firm, you know? Okay. Yeah. Fine. And like, I have a creative side I want to explore, but like, I don't have time to do that because he's too busy, like, brooding and being like artsy. <laughs> he's so annoying. Why is he being so annoying? But kind annoying? of also slightly attractive. <laughs> Well, there's got to be something there, otherwise it's really problematic. But let's talk about your creative side for a second, because obviously you wrote this novel, A of all, really quickly in a way that nobody should think about if they want to write their own novel, because it happens so fast and it's jealous-inducing. Um, but had you always wanted to write, and you, you did, you wrote it very quickly. Um, when the Murky Books prize came up, you kind of just went for it. Um, had you been writing before then, in the wee yeah. hours of the night? No, I had, I had always, like, from a very, very young age, I'd always really loved reading. Yeah. And I, I just, I think a lot of young children probably have this, but if you love reading, like, sometimes you'll just, like, do a little bit of writing. You might, like, mimic the style of your favorite author. Like, I used to read a lot of Jacqueline Wilson as a kid. This is when I'm really a kid. And then I would, like, do a little Jacqueline Wilson story with, like, the Nick Sharrett, like, illustrations and everything. Like, I just really... I really liked exercising that part of my brain. And so I just, I did carry on writing, like even through university, I was writing little bits here and there, but it was never anything that I necessarily like wanted the world to see. Um, and then once I kind of started working, that just switched off like a tap. I just didn't have any time at all um, to, to write. And yeah, the prize was just like a really good opportunity to like write something, just reopen that little part of me um, and write something. And because, because the way that the prize worked was you only had to submit like 2,500 words, which is like four pages of A4. I just did that and then just was like, ah, that feels good. That release feels really nice. And then I sent it off and then I just didn't really think about it again until they were like, you've won and you need to write a whole book. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have any time. When do you want this? And they said six months. And I was like, um, okay. I just won't have any like social plans ever again. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a it was it was actually a really it was the only way I would have ever written anything. I would never have ever written a book. I don't think in the job that I'm in, um, if it wasn't for the prize. Yeah, no, I can absolutely see. And then sometimes you do. You just need to be forced. Yeah, definitely. Six months is extreme forcing, but like <laughs> yeah. it's like that's a very very quick. Um, Okay, so you've got this. So you've already got this creative side in you, which is probably why you're attracted to Painter Man in the first place, right? We are often attracted to traits that we aspire to in ourselves, aren't we? So, um, okay, you're really busy. You guys want a family. He's just painting. And does he do anything? Is he making any money? Is he selling his paintings? Yeah, maybe that's what he does for a living and they're not bringing much in. Okay, fine. All right, so what, what happens? What do you, what, where does it go? 
Um, maybe like we uh, have a conversation where I'm like, you need to get like a more steady income. Um, and I am going to exercise my creative side while you're working. Like, and so he does something where he's working in the nights. Like he Ooh. does night shit, some kind of job where he's still doing painting and stuff in the day, but then he like leaves to go to his job at like six or seven or something. So I have the whole evening to myself to write. Thus accomplishing the never seeing each other mm. maxim, which yeah. we've now learned is the Making best our way. marriage very successful indeed. <laughs> All right, great. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad he stepped up. I'm impressed. He's good. And I can't have a failed relationship after I disobeyed the parents. That just wouldn't... Yeah, valid point. Very, yeah. very valid point. Um, just proves him right. No way. Yeah, no. No, the stubbornness can get you, like, that kind of stubbornness can get you a really long way in a relationship. I yeah, think, exactly. Is, the desire to not have been wrong about somebody <laughs> yeah. is real strong. Um, okay, all right. And then, and what is your... What's your working day like? Because you're not... Are you able to stop at 6 and come home and write something? Absolutely. Lovely. Yes. Which you definitely do Stopping not Stopping at 5.30, not even 6, okay? 5.30, <laughs> sometimes even 5, if it's not that crazy of a day. Okay. Now it's like mm, 9 or 10, maybe 11 average. Yeah. Pause for stunned silence. Mm. Wow, okay. All it's right. intense. It's a lot. Okay. Um... All right, so this is a little different, a little slower, a little balanced. Mm. Um, you start writing? Yes. Okay. What do you write? Children's books. Ooh. Yeah. Because I think before the prize and, like, if it wasn't for the prize and everything, I was always really interested in, like, children's stories. I mean, I think maybe because I wrote a lot as a child. Your imagination is just so limitless at that stage. You're just... It's, like, unbridled. You just... You can imagine everything and anything. I feel like the older you get, the more restrictive your mind becomes. Like you just, you just can't think of the same things that you thought of when you were a kid, where you just, reality hasn't like started to confine you when you're a child. And it really does when you're older. And every time, even writing this book, I kept thinking like, oh, I'll do this. And then I just thought, well, realistically, you know, I haven't seen that or like I haven't, and then it would come back to like the reality of what I'd seen or what I'd lived. And when you're a child, you just don't have that. You're not constrained by that, and I and I just love that. And so I think, yeah, I would have tried to get tap tap into that and maybe just write children's stories. That's lovely. Mm. Here's a thought: Does your husband do the illustration? Yeah, <laughs> what a great idea! You guys are such an amazing partnership <laughs> now. Okay, cool. Um, and how do they do? Is it one? Is it a couple? What happens? We start with one. That's usually how it works. I think they do pretty well. Yeah, I li I'm liking this life more and more. The more so I'm charming. Sick, but I miss my parents. Okay, well, let's talk about your parents. But how, no, you're going to be in a successful. I think when the books get successful, they come around and they're like, "Hey guys," <laughs> they're like, "Hey, maybe get us that holiday home in Spain." <laughs> you are no longer quite so shameful, especially if you get us the holiday home in Spain. Do they? Are they that cynical? Would they have come no, around no, before? No. No, no, I think they come around pretty quickly. Okay. This and life guys, is pretty nice. It is nice. Yeah. I like it for mm. you. And how about, um, well, hey, no, let's stay on them for a second. So uh, so some point after you guys have kind of settled, you've, you've worked out your rhythms, he's got his night job, they come around, you guys patch things up, all the in-laws get together. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Mm. It's always nice when everyone's happy. How about your friends from from college? Are they still the same friends? Are they have they? Because presumably, 
They've all moved back now. Yeah, other than my friend who went to London. If she still went to London, I wonder what our relationship would have been like. That's interesting. Um, yeah, or whether she would now be married into my family. Oh. You know, I told you at the beginning. But, so maybe that wouldn't have happened, which would have been very, very tragic for me. But she was a really nice lifeline, you know, someone, someone local when you were, like, in a place that you didn't know. Like, to have somebody from home um, or someone from, you know, where you, you came from, like, in this new place with you and you're, like, sort of navigating this new place together and you're exploring all these different things together. It's quite nice to have that. Mm. Okay. But we don't in this one. So No, because she's there and I'm she's here. She's there and you're here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you never know. We just might cycle back around. Um, but the rest of them are around. Yeah. And the rest of them are... So that's quite nice. So that's what... So do you have... Currently in your real life, there's no social life because you're not home until eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> Do you how's this, so like? But but presumably there's a bit of a community and a bit of a sort of social life. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing about life now is that I often I meet people at work or I've met people from university who have this lovely pocket of like friends from like back home or back then or whatever. But like I only moved to the Midlands when I was eleven anyway, so I I I really don't have people in my life pre eleven because I moved a lot as a child, like, growing up. Like, we were in the States, we were in Saudi, we were here, there, and everywhere. And so I was only ever in a place for, like, two years at a time and then would move. And so I'd, I was always leaving friends behind. Maybe this is what motivated my decision to want to go to the local college. I just did not want to leave my friends again mm. at the age of 16. So, yeah, at the age of 11 is when I, like, stayed in any place for, like, longer than two years. Um, and so I don't have these, like, historic, like, really old friendships, like, old relationships like other people do. And I always, like, wistfully, like, look at them. But even the friendships that, I've, that I had from 11, like I, like I said to you, like, I'm not friends with most of those people anymore. It's just a, a couple. But a lot, of, a lot of my friends now from, like, university or work, they have these huge, like, friendship circles from, like, friends they've known since primary school. And I always just felt so jealous. I was like, I wish I had someone I've known since primary school. No. Yeah. No, I know. It's a really, it's a really tricky one. And you do wonder... Those families that do move around a lot, what the sort of the sort of effect of that is, or just sort of any any kind of movement when you're younger, because you have this sort of ideal scenario, don't you? If you sort of are born in one place and you grow up in exactly that place and you never move and you never budge, but you know, yeah, it has its pluses and it has its negatives. I mean, I think when you're a child, it affects you quite badly because you're so <laughs> you're just you're you feel like so un, unmoored, like untethered. You're just literally like always floating. You you live this like nomadic existence. You don't. You don't feel, like, connected to anything. Like, even now when I say, like, oh, back home, I don't even really know what I'm talking about because it's like, well, yeah, the Midlands, but in the Midlands I lived in for five years. I mean, I've lived in London for longer than I lived in the Midlands. So um, you do have that sense of, like, not really feeling like any one place, like, geographical place is your home. On the other hand, like, you're, you're very... It's, it's very easy for you to, like, make new friendships. It's very easy for you to kind of meet new people. Like, you're very used to just being thrust into situations where you don't know anybody and you just have to make the most of it. And so I guess it gives you a bit of social confidence. Um, so it has these pluses and minuses, but I think these are also like themes of the book, like where is home and like what's belonging and stuff. It's just something that I've always wondered in my own life growing up. And then obviously like being of mixed heritage as well just contributes to that. Yeah, you can absolutely see that in the book, that question of what is what is home and is home where you grew up as home where your family grew up as home where your family was expelled from is it all of those is sorts it of where things. you're ethnically from like there's just so many so many questions oh well well what i'm liking is that we're making quite a nice cozy little home for you now which is quite it's quite sweet what does your house look like <laughs> i think we should describe your house 
I guess if if I had married an artist, um, and this is just to be clear, like this is so the very opposite of my current life. Because my husband, bless his heart, does not have a bone of artistry in his body. But but I think it was so like you know our home is like quite I guess minimalist or something. But I think the artist would have quite a lot of influence um, in choosing like the wall decor and like the I don't know he would just like so it'd probably be quite open plan. There'd be like a big easel in one corner. There would be like all his favorite like uh prints from all his favorite like uh, galleries and things like that and i would probably have less say in it because i just roll along with whatever the artist thought looked good okay but that does that feel okay or do yeah, you feel yeah. like, are you like i'd be like around? grateful i didn't have to do it <laughs> just be like sweet agreed agreed I was one thing I, that I never got the like decorating gene i just can't no. i can't do it at all no, at all same um, okay, so all right, so we're I think we're kind of catching up to your to your current sort of existence. I guess the next question is children, because mm. you obviously, as discussed, you've got two in your real life. Do you guys have kids? I wonder what my life would be like without them. It's really weird because they're the oldest one is two, so I've only had them in my life for two years. But I genuinely cannot remember not having a child, like <laughs> in a good and a bad way. Like it just feels like I I. I don't remember like having the freedom of being able to like go out in the evening to have dinner or just anything like that. It just feels so weird and alien, but it's only been two years. You will get, once they get a little bit older, you kind of start to remember life. Little, life. And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, that. It's sort it, of, sort of. It's odd. Like you kind of want to wish the time away and then feel bad for wishing the time away because <laughs> you're like, eh, I feel guilty that I, these precious moments, I just want them to be over so I can have a life again. Um, but yeah. Like a bath for five minutes yeah, without somebody exactly, interrupting just, you, that kind of thing. It, yeah. Absolutely, exactly. But um, it's, it's the, what sacrifices mothers make. But so are you going to make those sacrifices in this life? Are you guys going to hang out child-free for a little while and I think be creative? Yeah, definitely child-free for a little while and be creative. That's said with, with hindsight. Nice. Okay. So you do that for a bit. You write some more books? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe after the children's series, we branch into like YA. Ooh, no cool. illustration, but just like YA is what I start doing. Okay. Yeah. And is husband okay with that, with you doing your own? Does that feel all right for you to be doing your own yeah, projects? Yeah, he starts illustrating other authors' books. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay, so that's going well. Does he still have to do the night job or is like... No, 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 that's long gone. Fine, fine, fine. And how about law for you? Are you doing both still? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, I quite quite like my job. Like, I like what I do. Like, I actually like the day-to-day, like, work. Um, But I wonder if I would love it as much as if I was doing it in the Midlands because the cases are just so much smaller and maybe it's not as, like, high energy and, like crazy and that's kind of what I thrive off I quite like that um so maybe yeah, I'd give up the give up the legal career because the other thing I was wondering is if the work you're doing in the Midlands is the capital G good work or if it's just like work work no just work work okay. capital G good is very hard to come by and would require you I think probably to travel quite a lot um probably wouldn't you know probably be going here and there and everywhere okay all right so you give it up and you're writing YA yeah yeah and that's just how you go? Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like, do we want to introduce children or we want to just stop before they happen? I, I think I always wanted them when I was, like, younger. So ultimately, at some point, they, they, we would at least try for them. Um, but maybe not for quite a while. OK. 
Okay. Well, conveniently, we're coming to the end of the time, so I'm going to suspend you in a state of childless bliss <laughs> in this unlived life as we wrap up. Um, is there, before we end, I've got two questions. The first one is just, is there anything else you feel like we need to touch in your unlived life? Is there anything we haven't covered? Gosh, no. no. It's crazy going into such a, like, parallel universe. Well, let's now, since we've been in that parallel universe, the second question, is there anything that you would like to bring over from your unlived life into your existing life that you want to take with you? That can be something practical. It can be like the decor in the artist's house, <laughs> or it can be a feeling or a thought, or you can leave it all behind and walk away. Definitely not. It sounded well good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe some of the wall decor, some of the prints from his favorite gallery. Fine, cool. All right, we're going to next... If I'm going to come see you in your place, wherever it is, I'm going to hunch you down, I'm going to come and see if you've got your minimalist flat with, like, one <laughs> wall of, like, really crazy abstract art. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for venturing into your unlived life with me. Thank you very much for having me there. Total pleasure. something wonderfully counterintuitive about Hafsa's new path, about the way in which standing up to her parents in her unlived life ultimately meant that she didn't move far from them to London, and instead ended up staying close by in the Midlands. Insisting on her choice of school wasn't her only defiance either. Her choice of partner was a pretty extreme act of rebellion as well. But ultimately, her parents came round, and her life became one with a slightly slower pace, with a little more family and friends close by, and with more sort of classically creative output. Hafsa clearly loves her current life with its fast pace and intense hours. There's no sense of regret on her part about the path she's taken, nor should there be. But I'll be interested to see if in the years to come, she reaches for any of the elements of the unlived path that she created and brings them over even if it is just a little crazy art to hang on her walls. If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>